Hi, I'm Ryan Levy. Welcome back to Sabi Reason's Malicious Life. This episode is Operation Flyhook, Part 2. As a reminder, here's the summary thus far. In the spring of 1999, Alexei Ivanov, a talented hacker from a little city in Russia, was applying to work for American companies. But he was also becoming a pretty good hacker on the side, working hustles on eBay and PayPal and cracking into small companies here and there. By the fall of 1999, Alexei Ivanov and his business partner, Vasily Goshkov, were breaching American companies. They gained root access to servers, stole sensitive data, then offered to help, quote-unquote, fix those systems for a fee. All the while, Alexei was still sending around his resume, hoping that someone would take a chance on a talented foreigner. Finally, in the summer of 2000, he got his wish. A security startup called Invita was willing to take a chance on two talented Russians with a checkered history. The company invited them to America for a final step in what would end in a formal job offer. Kind of getting up to the, the part of the story where the FBI approached us with this mystery they had. That's Ray Pompon, director of F5 Labs. You heard him in our part one episode. He's about to become not just a commentator, but a participant in our story. We'll have to back up a moment first. It was fall of 2000 when Ray entered the frame. While Invita was making travel arrangements for the new Russian hires, he was working in Seattle, where the company operated. So I was a newly minted security professional. I had already been in IT for at least a decade, but mostly a network guy. And, and like recently in the past, the latter 90s, I actually transitioned into an actual security in my job title. The late 90s and early 2000s were a very different kind of era for cybersecurity. As a newly minted security professional, Ray was battling the kind of threats we'd consider cute these days. People were still kind of getting used to this internet thing. A lot of cybercrime was in the form of like what we call now vandalism. You know, they were like the, you know, the I love you bug and these kind of worms that just kind of like, you know, graffitied across the internet. They didn't actually steal anything or ransomware or anything like that. Although there were some crime going on. There was, there was some low-level phishing kind of here and there. And the FBI was still trying to get their hands around this. So we actually did some work with them. You'd think that working with the FBI would feel like some kind of James Bond movie. But for Ray, it was more like helping your mom figure out Zoom calls. They would bring us things like, you know, we see this and they, you know, they would describe some sort of like a piece of a hack that happened or some sort of, you know, phenomenon. It's stuff that's pretty commonplace now. I mean, things that we would call use of web bugs or web beacons, um, the use of proxies to relay web traffic, keyloggers, how those, you know, the various kinds of keyloggers in on public kiosks would work, pivoting within a network once you get in, that kind of stuff. It sounds pretty unique, as, at least as compared to today, when they might have the technical know-how already within 
there are four walls. Maybe I'm wrong on that. No, no, you're so, yes. Yeah. I mean, at the time they really didn't have a lot of technical folks with that would change within a few years. So we were kind of at a unique point in history. Ray became an early member of InfraGuard, an organization that connects U.S. businesses with the FBI, and he worked on assignments that the FBI didn't yet have the resources to prosecute on their own. But nothing like the one he was about to get into now. For whatever confluence of reasons, the growing threat of cyber attacks, the damage to businesses, the lack of effective law enforcement, whatever, the FBI took a special interest in the hacker Alexei Ivanov. There was kind of this feeling like, well, they can hack us at will. But enough was enough. The FBI wanted to do this to sort of send a message to say, we will get you. No matter where you are in the world, the FBI will find you and bring you to justice. They came up with a plan. So the FBI actually sort of created a company, a fake company. Their fake company needed to seem real, so they registered it, set up a website and an IT network, booked an office space in a shared office building, and gave it a name, Invita. The joke was Invite a Hacker. Ah, the FBI. Such classic jokesters. That was kind of silly. Invita was purportedly a cybersecurity startup. In fact, its sole purpose was to take advantage of Alexei Ivanov and Vasily Gorshkov's greatest weakness. They create a sting and said, we're going to hire these guys. It was a devilish trick. Remember our last episode? Before Alexei and Vasily started making real money, they were trying to get honest work in America. Even while he was hacking into companies, Alexei was still sending his resume out, sometimes to the very companies he was hacking. It didn't ingratiate him with his victims, as he'd hoped, but it did provide the FBI with his real name, phone number, and home address. And this was the briefing I was given. They basically said, okay, we've got these guys. We're going to get them to come see us. And we're going to interview them. We're bringing them in over on an aeroflight, so we know they won't have guns. They'll be completely unarmed. Like, yeah, like hackers are going to be armed. But, you know, so we'll know they're safe, and we're going to be, we'll have, like, agents with them as the job recruiters. The Invita representatives who drove them from the airport. So we'll have people with them the whole time. You know, they'll land at the airport. We'll take them to the office. You know, there'll be a whole escort with them that they won't even see. We're going to have a room. It's going to be bugged with cameras and stuff. And we're going to interview them. And we're going to try to get them on tape talking about the hack and talking about their capabilities. In order to build a case against Alexei and Vasily, the authorities needed proof that these guys really were behind the hacks of Speakeasy, OIB, and all those other websites and banks that received an unsolicited quote-unquote security evaluation in the past two years. To prove that, they needed someone technical enough to talk to the hackers at their level. But the problem is, you know, we've got a bunch of agents. We don't have anybody who's super technical in security. And we need somebody like real world feet on the ground in that room with them, asking them these technical questions and responding in a way that makes sense so that we can draw this out for them. And we said, we want you, Ray, to pretend to be an evil security consultant that's hiring these guys. And I was like, well, I can do that. You know, <laughs> that sounds like fun. 
Malicious Life is sponsored by CyberReason. There is nothing better than a live simulation, especially when you're fighting cyber attacks that are becoming more and more complex. Defenders are always looking for the critical edge to reverse the attacker's advantage, and it's only through live attack simulations that you can truly see what might provide you that winning edge. Join CyberReason's global attack simulations to watch firsthand how attackers use the latest infiltration methods and execute on sophisticated malicious operations, and more importantly, how to end these operations before they happen. Reserve your spot today at cyberreason.com slash attack sim. By the time Ray was briefed, the Russians were already packing their things. No time to waste. They had brought me in late because, of course, compartmentalization. Um, so it was sort of like, you know, within a few days, we were actually doing this thing. As Alexei and Vasily approached the West Coast, Ray joined up with the agents. I go to the FBI building, which is in downtown Seattle, and I see a lot of agents getting ready. And they've got these special flak jacket things, you know, these like bulletproof vests, and they have these special coats. And they're like, yeah, these coats, you know, we have these like flaps that we pull down that says FBI. So like, we can essentially swarm out and like, boom, we're the FBI. You know, it's like, wow, it's just like in the movies. And they're all like, you know, they're putting on these flak jackets and radios and, and, you know, guns and stuff. And I'm like, where's mine? I was like, oh, don't worry. You know, you're, you're fine. You know, they're not going to be armed. Then why are you <laughs> wearing all this stuff? And they're like, oh, we just have to. It's procedure. I'm like, okay, maybe I'm a little more nervous about this than I thought. <laughs> And so we, you know, we bundled up and there was, um, there were four of us. There was me and another woman, Melissa Mallon. We went on site to essentially, this was an office and it was a shared office space. So it was one of those things kind of like where we have workspaces now where, you know, you would, you would rent a, a room in a big giant cubicle farm. Um, it had four walls and a door, but it wasn't like a separate office. So we went there and then the other two agents actually went to the airport to meet these guys. Teams of other agents scattered out of sight throughout the premises. The two agents headed for the airport were trailed by another FBI car and an helicopter, both of which would be tracking Alexei and Vasily from the airport to the interview building. They don't do half measures, the FBI. So, you know, I was starting to go like, oh, this is, yeah, this is a really big thing. So we go to the office and it's set up like, well, like the way you think the FBI would set up an office. Um, you know, it was all neat, and there were a couple of computers, so there were laptops, actually, and a bunch of software and packages and magazines. And I remember t- turning to Special Agent Mallon and going, like, you know, this doesn't look like a computer office or, you know, a techie office, a startup. It looks like something the FBI would set up. So, first of all, we need to get some coffee cups in here. So, I remember we went out to get coffee and a bunch of extra coffee and just kind of, you know, scattered it around the room. I went through and, like, started flipping through all the manuals and opening packages up and leaving things laying around, like, pulled open tech magazines and dog-eared pages and, you know, things like that, just to make it look lived in and as messy as I knew at the time techies were. They're probably not any better now. Uh, You know, the only thing that's probably missing was a bunch of Nerf guns. We dressed the stage a little bit. The room was bugged, but not quite like they do in the movies. I hope I'm not giving anyone any secrets. I hope they've changed things. But there was essentially a laptop case. And if you remember those old big canvas square suitcase looking bags, that's what a laptop case looked like back in 2000. 
and the mesh itself had like a little kind of secret one-way mirror kind of thing but it was just the dark mesh where the lens was inside the bag so it's just you know essentially a laptop bag laying on a shelf that had a camera in it and then it, <laughs> i i kid you not it was like and this lamp here is a microphone <laughs> it's, it was very get smart and maybe that's what they just told me. Maybe there was better stuff going on, <laughs> but there, and I was just like, "Are you sure?" And like, "No, no, it's fine. We know how to do this. This is fine. Well, this will work." I'm like, "All right." It would have to do at least. The time was now. Pompon turned to Malin. She was like, "All right, they're here." And so it was. Two Russian hackers posing as ordinary security experts, thinking they were walking into a job interview. An ordinary security expert posing as their recruiter, an FBI agent posing as his colleague, the magic shop quality briefcase on the counter playing a cameraman, and all the other agents scattered in cars, helicopters, and other rooms around the site, watching intently, awaiting any wrong move. You couldn't script it any better for a movie. Funny that these guys come to the door, and the first thing that struck me was... Oh my God, they're young. They are really young. Alexi was, was 19. 19 years old. Our whole story of hacking, theft, and international intelligence operations for a teenager. Still, a mature teenager, you'd have to say. More football team than computer club. Square-headed, dark blonde hair shaved into a military cut, and the kind of big, broad nose that if you punched it, might hurt you more than it hurt him. His buddy Vasily looked more at home at a Seattle Tech Incubator, a 24-year-old good-looking guy. Thin, chiseled jawline, five o'clock shadow, short hair already starting to recede. Alexei was the tech guy, and then Vasily, who was 24, was kind of the biz dev guy. They both were somewhat technical, but you know that's how it kind of was. And, and Vasily spoke more English than Alexei. So he was kind of the guy who talked. He talked business. He talked about things. And then he would tell Alexei to do things. Ray began the interview. It didn't get off on the right foot, though. They're kind of, I'd say not hungover from alcohol, but probably hungover from the flight. It might have been alcohol, too. You can't blame the guys. They've just spent two whole days in transit. To try and even out, the Russians reached out to light up some cigarettes. That was another thing. It was like, oh yeah, yeah, in America you don't smoke inside an office. They didn't like that. At one point, Alexei and Vasily excused themselves for a bathroom break just to go smoke. They weren't as covert as they thought, of course, with dozens of FBI agents secretly tracking their every move. But the toughest part of the interview for Ray was that Alexei and Vasily just didn't want to talk about hacking. They were actually more interested in showing us the website they were building. They were building this kind of an e-commerce platform. And they're like, look at this, look at this, we want to do this, we want to program this. And we, you know, we've got this, these forums, and it was just like, yeah, 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 tell us about the hacking. The whole point of this elaborate operation was to get Alexei and Vasily to show off their hacking skills, to get them to talk about their adventures and recreate the methods on a honeypot that could be cross-referenced with evidence from those past incidents. But hacking was the last thing Alexei and Vasily actually wanted to talk about. I think for them it was like, it was a way for them to kind of like earn money and it was... 
whatever way they could and this was you know the easiest way but they really wanted to get jobs in the in the tech industry and get a part of like the what we called the bubble after it burst the 1.0 and you know because you would see all these cool companies were starting to form and yet there was more to it than this all this time we've been talking about alexei's search for a job at an american company but it wasn't just the glamour and the money that motivated them to get out of their hometown. As Ray listened to them talk, another motive became clear. They were afraid of being caught. Not caught by the Americans, to be clear, but caught in their own country. We kind of got the impression, meaning like if they were caught in Russia, they would be recruited, which is kind of what we see now. You know, and they would be kind of forced to work for the state to, to do their hacking. And so, you know, they were like, you know, they're trying to stay under the radar of that. And that's why they saw coming to America and getting this job was really like a, a foothold to bring over more of, of their friends to do this and, and to do legitimate work. I mean, I, I honestly think they would do whatever they could to just, you know, be successful. I started to feel kind of like, oh, wow, you know, I, this could have been me if I were living in some country and you know, a place where maybe the rules didn't matter so much. Say what you want about these kids, but you've got to empathize with the position they were in. Back in Russia, they were targets of the FSB. Now, in America, they were about to be railed by the FBI. With some prodding, Ray turned the conversation to hacking and convinced Alexei to demonstrate his skills. With Vasily translating, the 19-year-old got to work on what he didn't realize was a honeypot. The FBI tracked all his logins, all his commands, all his keystrokes, which lined up perfectly with the profile they'd put together from his previous attacks. He may as well have put the handcuffs on his own wrists. When they left the room, did you guys say cordial goodbyes? Was it dramatic? Um, yeah, so that was it was it was very undramatic because they, they had, as the FBI explained, they were not going to bust them in front of me. They don't like to give up their undercover agents because you never know. So what they did is they left the room. Alexei and Vasily were exhausted, understandably. So you know they'd been off the flight, they'd been wired the whole time. Um, you know went right came to this interview. So they're like, okay, now we're going to go back to the hotel. Alexei and Vasily got into the Invita car, headed for their accommodations. On the ride, they got to look out at Seattle one last time. All those tall buildings where programmers were building innovative and exciting websites, and engineers were designing new kinds of machines. The kinds of buildings they've been waiting to work in for years. But then... The car stopped suddenly, and right on schedule, a black van pulled up alongside. I think you know what happens next. Come out with your hands up. The Ivanov Sting, codenamed Operation Flyhook, actually resulted in not two, but three indictments. There was Alexei and Vasily and a gentleman by the name of Michael Schuler. Schuller, an agent for the FBI's Seattle office, was not indicted by the American court system, but rather by the FSB, the Federal Security Service of Russia. 
Evidently, Russia wasn't too happy about American law enforcement spying on two of their citizens, luring them out of the country under false pretenses, and arresting them without mentioning a word about it beforehand. There was a feeling that, well, we can't cooperate because then they'll just grab them. And, you know, that would actually, you know, been Alexei and Vasily's kind of nightmare as they would have been caught by the agency. So they didn't tell them they were doing this. It wasn't just that the FBI took action against Russian citizens without informing Russian law enforcement, though. By keylogging Alexei's breach into their honeypot, the FBI obtained the credentials Alexei used to communicate with his network back in Chelyabinsk. They used that information to log in and obtain all the data Alexei had stolen over the years. And then they went one step further, copying all of it and deleting the originals. So to the Russians' eyes, they also hacked because they stole a password. And, and they actually put out a warrant on the agents involved in that case and said, you, you have hacked in Russia and those agents to this day cannot actually go to Russia. There's considered cyber criminals there. Ultimately, though, Operation Flyhook was a success. Through guile and by crossing a few lines, the FBI got their guys. And they became attuned to a critical weak point in their agency, technical computer expertise that they wouldn't leave unaddressed much longer. Soon after that, the FBI started to build their own expertise in this area. And now they're, you know, some of the best in the world work there. I don't see them really coming to, from someone like me. For Ray, Operation Flyhook was a dramatic and borderline life-changing chapter in his cyber career. I always consider myself more of a blue-collar IT security guy than some super expert. So... You know, it was an amazing opportunity to see this and, and to meet these guys in a, in a context that I don't think I could ever really be bef again, where, you know, they didn't see me as, you know, the enemy or anything. They saw me as somebody they could have really kind of talk to. To learn that perspective and see that, that was, that was something that it stayed with me my whole life. Both Alexei and Vasily were charged with multiple crimes and ultimately convicted. Both were ordered sentences of three years in prison, and between them, nearly $1.5 million in restitution. But then, their sentences passed, and guess what? They were still in America. And remember how early on, Alexei would auto-send his resume to thousands of companies at once? Then, how he started hacking companies, as if that was going to get him on their good sides. He always did have a funny way of looking for work. This time around, he fell for the most elaborate ruse in cybercrime history and spent three years in prison for it. And yet, inadvertent as it may have been, this time it actually worked. By 2005, he was living and holding down a steady job in New England. It's all he ever really wanted. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Oh my God. That's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. 
Before I share with you the latest happenings on our Twitter feed, I'd like to take a moment to say thank you to Eliad Kimchi, a veteran team member of Malicious Life and a dear friend who recently left Cyberism and the podcast to do great things at a different company. Eliad was part of Malicious Life almost from day one, and aside from the interviews he did, most notably the B-Side series about hacker conventions such as DEF CON, DerbyCon, and others, Eliad was also a sort of an ambassador of the podcast, reaching out to interesting guests, organizing live events like the one we did in Las Vegas in 2019, and much, much more. Eliad, thank you very much for your amazing contribution to Malicious Life, and me and the team wish you good luck in your new role. Okay, so following part one of Operation Flyhook, we asked you over on Twitter if you had Alexei Ivanov's skills and knowledge, but no prospects of working in the industry, for example, born in a remote place, would you consider being a black hat hacker? Only 25% of you voted for never, it's immoral. 45% said, yes, you gotta get by somehow, meaning they might turn to the dark side, but only if they have no other choice. And 28% voted for maybe if the money is good, which I interpret as saying, morals? What morals? Esteban had a good point, writing, quote, I would say time is another factor that should be considered. The alternative to being a black hat now, under those circumstances, could be doing bug bounties or working remotely. However, one might have been more inclined towards crime to get by years ago. End quote. Twitter user The Arch Pirate from the Cult of the Octopus, taking your love for seafood to a whole new level. He said in reply to our poll, quote, It would be better to get a temporary job and save money to move somewhere else, but I don't know if Ivanov's slash Chelyabinsk's situation well enough. End quote. And finally, Farmer D, who tweeted, Nice try, FBI. You're welcome. Uh, I mean, what? FBI? Never heard of them. Malicious Life is produced by PI Media. Nate Nelson produced this episode together with Ben-Ora Bari, who did the sound design. Our website is malicious.life. You can follow us on Twitter at at maliciouslife or me at at ranlevy. That's R-A-N-L-E-V-I. Thanks to CyberReason for underwriting the podcast. Learn more at cyberreason.com. Bye-bye. CK music, 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 music.